scripture reading for today. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ronnie. Uh, my name is Kyle. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, um, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and we are uh, excited that you're here with us uh, this morning for worship. We're continuing our series uh, looking at the Gospel of Mark in the person and purpose of Jesus. And the text that Ronnie just read concludes this series of five controversies in Jesus' early ministry. Uh, Jesus is accused of blasphemy for forgiving sins. He's questioned over eating with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Jesus' disciples are questioned over fasting. And today, uh, that brings us to the question of Sabbath. Um, and again, we see the Pharisees are trying to draw lines, uh, trying to determine who's in, who's out, who's, who honors God, who doesn't. Uh, who's serious about keeping in line with their man-made additional rules and regulations in obeying God, and who isn't? The Pharisees are, are trying to catch, they're trying to trap Jesus, and we see that Jesus turns their and our ideas about who God is, of what he's about, and what rest really means, it turns them on their head. And instead of this driving the Pharisees to awe and worship and changed hearts, it sends them to this unlikely partnership where they begin plotting how they can actually kill Jesus. So the question for us this morning is how are we going to respond to this one who calls himself the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath? So please pray with me and we'll jump into our text this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your word, uh, for giving it to us. Uh, we thank you for the gift of Sabbath, and we pray that we would learn more about who you are and how you redefine rest and reorient our hearts towards you this morning. Um, help me to get out of the way and to exalt your son Jesus here this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, when I was a senior in high school, I was applying for uh, the McClellan Scholarship at Covenant College. It was a leadership scholarship that was the largest one that Covenant offered. And so in February of my senior year, I went down to Covenant with the other 80 plus finalists for Mac Weekend. Um, 
and during Mac weekend, you go through what feels like a series of Herculean um, you know, tragedies and obstacles um, and interviews uh, to compete for this scholarship. And there's, there's this interview, the one-on-one -on -one interview with a professor. Uh, there's a panel discussion and like a breakout session afterward. There's this interactive group game interview um, where they watch how you interact. Uh, and then there's the dreaded fishbowl interview. Um, during the fishbowl interview, they give you a kind of group project to work on with a group of like six or seven other applicants that you, you discuss around a round table. Um, but the reason it's called the fishbowl interview is because while you're discussing uh, the, the problem they give you, scattered around the room are these judges. Um, and they're sitting, you know, legs crossed, clipboards, and they're there to, to write notes, to critique, to judge you, to see if you measure up, to, to see if you have what it takes to be a McClellan Scholar. And so I'm sitting there totally anxious. Um, at this point in my life, it was probably one of the most anxiety-producing events of my life. I'm trying to... Um, you know, put my best foot forward, trying not to step on the other uh, applicants, I'm trying not to be dismissive, trying to keep us moving along. Um, and it's, you know, it's a room full of high school students who are vying for a leadership scholarship. So you can imagine how fun that was. Um, but meanwhile, you just have all these people around you evaluating you, um, silently critiquing you, taking notes, um, checking things off on their clipboards. And the reason I tell you that story is because that's kind of like what we see the Pharisees doing here uh, with Jesus and his disciples. Um, they're like the fishbowl judges who are there to, to watch you, to watch Jesus and his disciples. And they're there to see if you and, and they measure up to the standards that they have for God's law concerning the Sabbath. Um, you, can, you can almost see them. You know, they're like, picked ahead of grain, check. Heal the man's hand on the Sabbath, check. Um, and before we're too harsh with them, we'll get to this later, the reality is, is we can all struggle with what the Pharisees are doing here. We can all struggle to rest in and to rely on our own rules and regulations, our own boundary markers for acceptance before God instead of resting ultimately in Jesus. And what that produces in us is either this superiority complex where we're looking down on those who don't measure up to our rules, um, who don't keep our standards, or it leads to tremendous anxiety and fearfulness uh, because we know deep down the truth is we can never measure up. So this morning, we're going to look at the regulations that lead to restless religiosity. Hear that alliteration there? Um, regulations that lead to restless religi religiosity, and then the reorientation of our hearts to renewal and to rest, and then lastly, how we will respond. So first, we're going to look at the regulations that lead to restless religiosity. Uh, we read in verse 23 of our text, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. And you can see the Pharisees there kind of ready to pounce. And they said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, before we get to the Pharisees and, and how they saw and how they used the Sabbath, we're, we need to understand what the Sabbath was, what its purpose was, because in our day and age, we, we don't really live in a first century Jewish context where um, Sabbath is, is the kind of primary identity marker of God's people. And so we, we need to understand a little bit about it. So the, the first thing we need to know is that the Sabbath was a gift from God to his people. 
Um, One pastor says it this way. He says, Sabbath was given as a blessing, not a burden, so that we could enjoy God's work and express love for God and neighbor with undistracted focus. The whole point, as one commentator points out, is that it's to raise us as human beings above the routine of our earthly labors each week to fulfill our unique privilege of living in a covenant relationship with God. Essentially, it's a date with God every week where God is just saying, come here, come with me. Let me show you how much I love you. Let me show you all I've done for you. Let me show you who I am and how much I love you. And I want you to enjoy that. I want you to celebrate that. I want you to rest in that. And I want you to express that and embody that to me and to those around you. It's a gift. It's to be delighted in. It's a blessing where you rest in and embody God's grace and mercy towards us. Jesus is by no means saying here, you can just ignore the fourth commandment. I was just kidding. That's not a big deal. Um, I'm doing away with that. Jesus isn't doing that at all. He's not coming to destroy the Sabbath, but he's coming to fulfill it. So the Pharisees, they really started from God's word and their desire to obey God and to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. But in their zeal to show their obedience and their devotion to God, they came up with this list of 39 additional man-made laws in addition to scripture to try to protect the Sabbath and its keeping. But in reality, they were going against God's design for the Sabbath, and despite all their efforts to keep the Sabbath perfectly, they're actually breaking it. And so they're, they're really an example for us of what it looks like when we turn to ourselves, when we turn to our own carefulness in order to please God, in order to get God to love us by law keeping, instead of just resting in him. The Sabbath was so important to them that they thought that if you actually abandoned the Sabbath, you were abandoning God and you were abandoning your relationship with him. And so, as we said, it was one of the identity markers, like circumcision, that was the the identity marker of God's people. It marked you as distinct, as special, as chosen, as loved. And it became this, this matter of nationalistic pride, so much so that they would actually rather die than desecrate the Sabbath by fighting even in self-defense against a warring nation um, during the Sabbath. So these, these, this list of 39 rules that they had, um, you know, you could, you could walk this far, but not that far. Um, you couldn't work, uh, you couldn't pick a head of grain, you couldn't apply medical attention to someone unless they were, um, it was a life or death situation. So if you had a broken bone, you gotta wait till tomorrow, we can't set it today. Um, so there's, there's no first aid for, for God's people on the Sabbath. Um, and, and Jesus' disciples are walking along and they pick the, this head of grain to eat. And the, the, the Pharisees are so frustrated because they're working, they're reaping. That was one of the laws that they had, but they didn't even know God's law as well as they proposed that they did. Deuteronomy 23, 25 allows for what Jesus and his disciples are doing um, and walking through a neighbor's field and picking heads of grain to eat. But because it happened on the Sabbath, they were in complete violation of their rules. So they're so angry, and they say, look. You can kind of just hear the spit come off of their mouth. You can hear the disdain and the disgust in their voice. They say, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And what that produces in them is instead of being Sabbath delighters, they become Sabbath detectors, detectives. 
They've lost the delight. They've lost the gift of Sabbath, and they're obsessed with investigating to make sure everybody else is keeping the rules. I mean, you hear how hostile their question is. It's not humble. It's not teachable. They're not really inquiring to Jesus. It's not this, you know, why are you doing things differently than how we, we know and understand the practice of the Sabbath? Um, they're accusing Jesus. They're accusing his disciples, and they've placed themselves over and above them in the process. I mean, you see it in, in chapter 3, verse 2. They're watching to accuse Jesus. They aren't watching to acknowledge him. They're not watching to celebrate him. They're, they're watching to trap him, to accuse him. They're not sincerely asking questions of Jesus to learn. They're trying to get him to fall in line with their understanding, their way of doing things. And when that plays out, it only leads to restless religiosity. So what does that mean? It means that because they're devoted, not primarily to God's word and to his desires and to his design, but to their own list of man-made rules and regulations, that they actually miss out on the joy and the delight of Sabbath because they're wrapped up in performing for God so they can earn, so they can squeeze a blessing out of him. It's kind of like, um, you know, it's kind of like when you, when you play a video game and you have a cheat code and you do the up, up, down, 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 left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start, and that gives you infinite lives. Um, that's what the Pharisees are doing here. They're looking at the rules like a cheat code. Um, trying to earn God's favor. If we can punch the right buttons in the right order, uh, then God has to accept us. So we're restless. We're constantly scrambling to figure out this code to punch the right buttons in the right order so that we can be assured of our status before God, but we never really are because we're, we're constantly thinking, well, what if I'm missing something? What if I didn't do it in the right order? Or we're so sure that we have his blessing that we're, we're restless in our pride because we're so confident of our own goodness that we've actually missed the delight of the Sabbath. And we become like the Pharisees, Sabbath detectives, looking to see if other people are measuring up. And if people don't punch the right buttons like we do, then we're better than them and we can look down on them. So the question for us is, what are the ways that we do this? What are the ways that you do this? It might be with Sabbath practices. It might be, you know, we don't go to restaurants. We don't uh, do homework. We don't play outside on the Sabbath. Um, it's the Lord's day. Uh, or it could be your own ideas of personal holiness. You know, we read our Bibles all the time. We're constantly in church every time the doors are open. We're involved in these ministries and these Bible studies. You know, we, we, we don't do these things. We don't watch these movies. We don't listen to that music. We don't watch those TV shows. We don't hang out with those people. Um, you know, we don't support these candidates. We don't support this issue. Um, and because we don't, you shouldn't either. You know, what are your extra biblical rules and regulations that you abide by, that you use, that cause you to think, God must be really happy with me because I'm on his side. Um, because I do these things and I don't do those things. You know, what are those things that cause you to to think about um, other people who don't measure up to your standards, to your rules and regulations, so that they're on the outside and you are on the inside because you're so good and you're better than them. And one of the ways we do this, are we looking to trap people um, so that we can feel better about ourselves because we're smarter, we're more theological, um, we're, we're more sophisticated than they are? Um, and then we have to ask the question, you know, does Jesus have to line up with our rules and regulations 
Or do we have to align ourselves with him, with his purposes, with his person? You know, can Jesus really disagree with you and he gets to win? Um, we all struggle with this. You know, I like my version of, of what it means to follow Jesus, but when Jesus confronts us, we can really be tempted to be like the Pharisees here and to dismiss him outright. I mean, remember, at the end of the passage, they're so angry with him that they leave and they go to plot to kill him. You know, we say, you know, I, I hear you, Jesus, um, but I don't really want to be as serious as you are about this issue. I don't want to be serious as, as you are about this. I just want to use my cheat code. I just want to punch the right buttons. It's more comfortable. It doesn't cost me as much. It's easier. Um, I prefer that. Or we can be so driven by our performance for, before God that we know deep down we're never going to measure up and keep all of his rules, let alone our own rules, perfectly. And so we're down on ourselves. We feel lost and hopeless. I'll never be good enough. I'll never have it all together. So when we don't look to, to who Jesus truly is, to what he truly offers, our self-focus doesn't lead to just superiority, but to inferiority. You know, I'm disgusting. I'm a mess. I'm a worm. Who'd ever want me? And that leads us to our second point, the, re the reorientation of our hearts to rest and to renewal. Jesus responds to the Pharisees' hostile question in verse 25, have you never read? And you can see the prideful, disgusted look on the Pharisees' faces. They're like, what? Us? You're questioning us, the Pharisees? We know more about God. We know more about his word than anybody else. How dare you, Jesus? And Jesus goes right there to the heart of their idolatry to their pride, that they know everything about God, that they know him, that he loves them, and that they know more than everyone else. And so what do we learn here? Just really simply, we learn that we need to read God's word and spend time in it if we're going to know who he is, if we're going to know what he's about and the kind of rest that he offers and what he's calling us to, we have to spend time with him in his word. Or are we more convinced, more preoccupied, more interested in our own man-made rules and regulations rather than his revealed word to us? And then Jesus continues in verse 25 and 26. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Jesus is playfully teasing the Pharisees here with his answer. He doesn't deny that he's out of accord with their understanding of how to traditionally practice the Sabbath. But he pleads special circumstances here. And he pleads scriptural precedent. But more than that, Jesus is doing something amazing, really subtle here. He's putting himself on par with King David. If you go back to 1 Samuel 21, the, the story that Jesus remembers, he says it's, it's basically this time in David's life where he's been anointed as king by Samuel, but he's awaiting the time when he actually is going to take his throne. He's waiting for the time when he's going to be officially recognized and enthroned over Israel. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's making this really heavy claim. Where, where he's the king that David was pointing to. He's the king that they're actually longing for. He's the anointed king in his baptism, and he's waiting to be officially recognized and enthroned through his death and resurrection and ascension. So Jesus is saying here that as the would-be king, 
I get to kind of bypass your normal rules and regulations. Your man-made traditions don't apply to me. And then he presses in on this further when he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the second time in Mark's gospel where Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, as the messianic figure from Daniel 7, whose arrival and whose enthronement signal the start of God's kingdom. He's saying, that's who I am. I am the Messiah. I'm the true representative human. I'm the king you've been longing for, who has all authority over everything, including your institutions and your religious institutions. And more than that, Jesus is even saying, I'm the creator God. I'm the one who gave you the gift of Sabbath in the first place. I get to say how it's kept. I get to say how it's followed. I get to say how it's honored. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. He says, the Pharisees are, are like the groundskeepers at a really nice golf club um, with beautiful fairways. And the fairways are so beautiful that, that they do everything to preserve and to protect the fairways from divots and from being driven on that they make all the golfers shoot their shots from the rough. Um, he says this. He says, the Sabbath is like nice golf courses with beautiful fairways. They're meant to be enjoyed, not merely protected and not merely preserved. And then Jesus expounds on that further in chapter three. Again, the Pharisees are circling around him. They're in the synagogue. They're watching, ready to accuse him, and they're ready to see if this Jesus is going to heal this man on the Sabbath. And remember, when, we read, when Ronnie read, this guy's in the synagogue with the withered hand. He isn't dying. He just has a withered hand. It's paralyzed. Um, he can't move it. He can't work properly. So according to their rules, his life is in an imminent danger. And so to heal him on the Sabbath would be a violation. And the man doesn't ask to be healed at all. He's just there thinking he's going to church on Saturday. He's like you guys, like right now. If, and, and if I were to stand up and be like, Jeff, I need you to stand up, please. Everyone would be like, what's going on? Um, that's what's going through this guy's head right now. What's going on? And Jesus calls him out. He says, stand up, rise up in front of everyone because Jesus is about to show us what Sabbath is all about. And he asked the Pharisees, what's lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And they remain silent. And Jesus looks around in fierce anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, deeply distressed at their willful hostility, their hard-heartedness. And he doesn't touch the man. He just says, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches his hand out, and it's completely restored. Again, notice Jesus' graciousness and his pursuit here. He's the one that takes the initiative this guy doesn't ask to be healed, but Jesus pursues him and uses this as an opportunity to show us and to show the people in that room what Sabbath is all about. He says, Sabbath is not about your rules and your regulations. It's about my renewal. It's about my redemption. It's about restoring the broken. It's about filling the empty. It's about repairing that which has been broken and feeding the malnourished. It's a blessing. It's a gift to be enjoyed. And Jesus, in this moment, in this story, delivers both the Sabbath and this man from their states of distress. 
The word restore there means that Jesus is interested more than just physically restoring his hand, but in restoring him completely, bringing him about to a fullness of life. Jesus is saying the Sabbath is a time for doing good, particularly for the relief of suffering. It's for setting things to right, to to bring my kingdom. It's for celebrating and enjoying the beauty of my creation, for renewing and restoring that which has been damaged and broken by the fall. So Jesus completely reorients and redefines rest. He completely reorients our hearts around what Sabbath is truly to be about. It's, It's to be a day of joy, not to be a day of drudging obedience. One commentator says this, this positive approach by Jesus toward the Sabbath is so elastic that it's hard to rule out any act which, in, which is not in itself unacceptable. Jesus is declaring the Sabbath is a gift, and it's a gift that's meant to be enjoyed. Do you know this Sabbath? Do you live this way? Jesus redefines rest here. It's more than just stopping your work one day a week. It is that. Um, Stopping from your work is actually practicing the gift of renewal that Jesus offers. And it's good for us to follow God's design for rest and his example um, from resting from our work one day a week. But we have to ask the question, why did God rest on the seventh day? Was it because he was so tired? God doesn't get tired, and so it can't be because of that. It's because he was finished. It's because his work was complete. It was beautiful. It was done. And he was there to enjoy it, to enjoy his creation. That is why he rested. And so it's good for us to stop one day a week, to rest for a day, to acknowledge that we're not God, that we're not in control of the whole world, that we can resign ourselves to the reality that we are not in control of the world, and God is. It's good for us to practice rest and renewal and let God be in charge of running the world. Scotty Smith says it this way. He says, sometimes the godliest thing you can do is to take a nap. And what he means by that is when you take a nap or when you go to sleep, you're actively saying, I am not in charge of the world. The world is going to continue to spin. People's lives are going to continue to flourish. People's problems are not going to go away. I'm not actually in control of this, but God is because we know from Scripture that he never rests. And he's constantly, through Jesus, interceding on our behalf. And so we can trust him that he's actually in control. But it's it's so much more than just that one one day taking off. Hebrews 4.10 says this, For anyone who enters God rests also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. So what's the work that the writer of Hebrews is talking about there? He's talking about the works of obedience, which we use to try to earn God's favor and acceptance. That's the work that we can never complete, that we will never accomplish. We will never be able to work hard enough and be good enough to get God to love us and to get him to accept us. There's a rest of redemption that Jesus is pointing to here. Do you know the other time that God rested after something was finished? On the cross, after Jesus said, it says he give, he's going to give up his life, right before that, it, he says, it is finished. And we have to ask the question, what's finished there? His life, his work of accomplishing your love and acceptance, 
your being made his child through faith and repentance because of his death and resurrection, that is what is accomplished there on the cross when Jesus gives up his life. When Jesus declared, it is finished, he's saying the thing that makes you truly exhausted, the thing that keeps you up at night, every night, this need to prove yourself, this need to constantly measure up, this need to constantly see where you are, this need to constantly justify your existence, it's finished. Jesus lived the perfect life that we were called to live and he died the death that we were called to die. And so if you know and you rest in his finished work of redemption, of purchasing and pursuing you to the point of his own death, then you can rest. You can capital our rest knowing that you are safe and secure in this God, that he is satisfied with you, that he's happy with you, that he loves you and delights in you. You know, have you received that gift of Sabbath this morning? The rest of redemption where you can trust, where you are actively trusting in his finished work on your behalf on the cross and rest no longer in your own work. Because when you enter that rest, you can trust that you have all of God's favor, all of God's smile, all of God's happiness, all of his pleasure, all of his security, because you're resting in Jesus's once for all finished sacrifice on the cross and no longer on your own broken efforts. Jesus is shouting to us in the healing of this man's hand. The Sabbath is about my rest and my renewal and my redemption. Jesus shows us what Sabbath really is here. Mary Healy, a commentator, writes this. She says, Jesus exercises his lordship by undoing the effects of sin and inaugurating, inaugurating his new creation by which humanity is restored to the fullness of life that God intended from the beginning. Jesus thereby fulfills the original purpose of Sabbath to bring humanity into communion with God. That's what the Sabbath is about. That's what rest is, is being in relationship and fellowship and peace and security and comfort with Jesus. How do you think about Sabbath? You know, is it a burden? Is it about rules? Or is it a blessing about renewal? Is it the day pointing forward to the day when Jesus will completely restore all that's been broken and lost, when he will make all things new? Or is it a burden because it's a day where you have to perform to keep the right rules in order to earn God's blessing? And then lastly, we, we look at what's our response to this Lord of the Sabbath and to his reorienting of our hearts toward rest and renewal. If you look at how the Pharisees respond in chapter 3, verse 6, um, it says that the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And at first glance, you go, what is going on here? Really, Pharisees, you're so concerned with law-keeping that when Jesus asks you if it's lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill, you're silent in front of Jesus. But the moment you get up and leave from the synagogue, you declare and you shout with your lives, kill, kill. That's actually what we're going to do on the Sabbath. You see what hard-heartedness actually produces in us. It causes us to be blind to the ways that we're trying to follow and obey God, and it ultimately leads us to trying to silence Jesus. So then the Pharisees, they make this tremendously unlikely alliance with the Herodians. The Herodians, just quick little lesson, they're, they're this group of people that follow Herod. He's the, the, the Roman-appointed king over Israel at the time. These are 
two groups that cannot be further apart. This is way further apart than, than Republicans and Democrats. This is like not just separated by an aisle, like they're separated by like a chasm. Um, the Herodians are this corrupt pagan group of people with pagan values that celebrate the Greco-Roman culture and are opposed to everything that the Pharisees are about. They're this licentious, corrupt, pagan group, and the, the um, Pharisees are this conservative, moralistic, legalistic, righteous, religious group. But what unites them? What creates this unlikely alliance? It's, let's kill Jesus. That's what unites them. And we see here that we see the irony of what hard-heartedness produces in the Pharisees. They're so concerned with their rules, with their regulations um, of keeping the Sabbath that they immediately plot to go kill Jesus on the Sabbath. Like, you shouldn't do that any day, let alone the Sabbath. But, but before we're too hard on the Pharisees, Jonathan Edwards has some really pointed words for us. He says, we are all would-be Jesus killers. When Jesus challenges our man-made rules and regulations, when he challenges our, our rule-keeping, when he challenges the place that we turn to look to for our love and acceptance of God, we too try to silence him. We make alliances with people and groups and echo chambers that help us ignore Jesus and do what we think is best. Um, that's why we need each other. That's why we need community and fellowship and the church to call us back to resting in and relying upon Jesus and his finished work that we find in the gospel um, of believing the good news of the gospel that though we're broken, rebellious, disturbed and hateful sinners, the God of the universe has come to rescue and to redeem us, to call us back to himself because of his goodness and grace. And he calls us to lay all of our work down all of our hard-heartedness down and to rest in his love and his grace. Because the reality is, is if we hold on, if we hold on to our rules and regulations, if we grip them so tightly, it's going to lead to a restless religiosity where we'll miss out on the gift, on the beauty of Sabbath and what Jesus is calling us to, of having our hearts reoriented and renewed by his rest and renewal and redemption so that we can glory and his finished work on the cross. It's only when we stop resting in ourselves and rest in Jesus' finished work on the cross that we will truly participate in his rest and his redemption. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says, Therefore, uh, do not let any man judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. True Sabbath, true and lasting and real rest is found in Jesus. It's found in the Lord of the Sabbath who came to fulfill true rest in him through his life and his death and his resurrection and ascension. Do you know him this morning? Can you rest, not because you're good enough, but because you're his? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, for giving us your rest, for sending Jesus to redefine what rest means, to reorient our hearts towards you, to rest in you and your finished work on our behalf. Father, we ask that you would not let it be true of us that any of us leave this place hard-hearted this morning. 
uh, that we would not, after hearing and seeing you and meeting with you and your people, turn away hard-hearted, looking to silence you, looking to put you away. Help us to celebrate, to partake in and embody the gift and grace of your Sabbath. Father, we love you. We praise you for your goodness. It's in Christ's name we come. Amen. We come now to our time of communion. This table is not the table of our church. It's not the table of our denomination. It's Jesus' table for his people.